This is Nate Stoddard from Sundance Canyon Academy. Today we're talking with Boyd Hooper about values. Good morning, Boyd. Good morning. Good to be here. Hey, uh, today we're, we're talking with Boyd Hooper. And uh, Boyd, could you introduce yourself a little bit more, give a little bit more of your role that you play and, and what you do here at Sundance Canyon Academy? Sure. I'm the admissions director and one of the founding owners of Sundance. Okay. Tell us a little bit more about what an admissions director is. Could you give us some background on that or some sure. additional information? You bet. Um, as an admissions director, my job is really to be the gatekeeper um, with parents and professionals and those who are interested in our program. So really, I have the role of consultation and um and I love my job. It's it's one of the things that uh, gets me up in the morning every day is going out and talking with parents and those parents who are in need and saying, hey, I, I, I need some solutions here. And the other thing I get to do is, again, talk to other professionals in the field, whether they be educational consultants or therapists or other advocates. Uh, I get to tell them a little bit about our program. So. The topic today is uh, values um, and how that incorporates within Sundance Canyon Academy and maybe even just uh, pre-Sundance Canyon Academy for our parents and listeners. Tell me a little bit about values as it pertains to Sundance. You know, values crosses two things uh, pertaining to our company. The first one is it primarily exists with um, our our kids and uh, getting to know them. And then it also... Uh, has a lot of contribution to getting to understand our our parents. Um, a lot of programs say, well, how do you start with, and they ask the question of how do you start with therapy and getting to know both the parents and the kids. And for us, values is that piece. There's a lot of crossover. Because when kids first come in the door and we ask them, you know, a little, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, we find out what they value. We find out what's important to them. And so that's the value piece. The other is when we start talking to the parents and start to address what their needs are, you find out really what they value as well. So that's how values is impacted within our within our program. When you talk about what's important to the to the uh, say the teenagers when they come in, how does that how does that sound? I mean, is that is it something that's hard to extrapolate from a teenager as far as what's important to them or helping them understand what a value is for them? You would think so. You'd think that some of these kids aren't going to come right out and say, you know, I really value honesty or I really value, you know, integrity. You know, they're not going to use that type of language or it doesn't happen very often. But if I have a young man who comes in the door who really is in crisis, you know, he's thought about maybe suicide or he's addicted to drugs or substances or he has real low self-esteem. As you start to question and ask and get to know them, you start to build that relationship of trust, if you will. They start to tell you very spe- specific things about them and what they like and what they dislike. And you can find out very quickly what they what they do value. Um, some of it is a mask. You know, these kids will will say they value one thing, but again, as you're building that relationship with them, it starts to become pretty evident what they value. And some of it is short-term and some of it's long-term. And I would say um, that's also very true with our parents. You get to talking to them 
uh, and you find out about everything from what they do from an occupation to their marriage to their kids and their family, and you start to find out what they value. And you're looking for that crossover because that's the beginning step of repairing some of these bridges and getting to really understand who you're working with. You know, having a having a teenager myself, I would think that sometimes values may come across as opposite, especially if a kid's having a crisis within a parent and parents may have that perception that Oof, my kid doesn't have the same values as me. Is that is that common from a belief of parents that you talk to, do you think? Or Yeah, you know, that's a great question because a lot of the parents are, you know, my kid is, is so out of control right now. He's not representing our family. He's not representing our values. He's not representing this or that. And that's where, you know, they're at odds. Um, as you start to talk to parents and they say, you know what, I really value honesty, let's say. And then you start talking to the kids and they just want to be trusted, but they know they've broken that trust multiple times, but they still value honesty. They still want to be honest with their parents. They just don't know how, or they've started to go in some direction, uh, an opposite direction. And they realize, you know, I'll never be trusted. So why try? But that doesn't mean that they don't value being trusted or that, that honesty piece. So you find out that there's some connection and you really begin to find out where they need uh, or where you need to begin therapy, some of these approaches uh, and, and conversations. Mm-hmm. So what um, is is the values then a source of conflict or is it a source of, in conflict I mean as an argument or do you, or does it come from, like you said, they don't know quite how to say they value honesty with it, as far as a teenager is concerned. How does that, how does that create conflict in order to, speak to you as an admissions director. I mean, you would, you would think that the values would be either opposite or the same and that there's some conflict created by kid being opposite rather than the same, but you're saying that they probably do have those same values as the parents. So explain that to a parent that's going, wait a second, you mean my kid has the same values as me more than likely, but yet he doesn't act that way. Expound on that a little bit more. I don't understand how that works. Yeah, it's um, it's a conundrum. Uh, a lot of parents are saying, you know, my my kid is so out of control that they really don't represent, you know, who we are as a family, and they're not representing themselves. And so parents see, oftentimes they'll say to me, my kid's out of control, and that's embarrassing to the parents because they feel like they've done a bad job parenting. And so. As I'm talking to parents, I can find out very quickly what it is that they do value, what's important to them. Um, and as again, as we get to know the kids and we start to build that relationship, you find out it is the best starting point because it talks, both of them will speak to what they interpret to be important to them. And that is the starting point. I think you have aha moments when you talk with a parent and say, you know, as I visited with your son, he told me X, Y, and Z were important to them. That's often an aha moment to the parents because they're like, we didn't think that he still believed that or he valued that or that was important to him. And so that's a great conversation starter to say, yeah, he really believes this. He really thinks this. He really feels this. And vice versa. You tell a kid who believes because he has so much shame and guilt on his shoulders that his parents don't believe in him. And you can say, no, they really believe in you. They really value your input. They really value your opinion and they want to trust you again, man, that, that mends all sorts of, uh, 
of broken fences, so to speak. And it's a great conversation. Again, it's a conversation starter. It's where you want to begin some of these treatment plans. Does Is the conversation... It's interesting because would you encourage parents then to have a values conversation as to what their kids value? I mean, would that be that simple? Well, let me be specific on this. And that is um, when a young man first comes in, because we're an all boys program, I'll do an entrance interview and I'm asking some very specific questions. I'm asking about friends. I'm asking about family. I'm asking about drugs. I'm asking about school. I'm asking about sports. I want to find out a little bit more about him. And in doing so, it's going to give me very specific indicators as things he's interested in, the things that he values. I do that same thing with the parents. And so, yes, oftentimes there's uh, parents and kids are at such odds, they need a mediator. Mm. And so that's why one of the first steps as an admissions person, because you brought up the question about admissions, is I'm asking questions to the... Uh, to the parents about, have you tried therapy, private therapy at home? Have you had conversations with the school counselor? Have you met with your pastor? Have you done these different things? Because oftentimes those can be the first steps to mediation to solve some problems. Oftentimes the parents will come back and say, we've tried all that. It's not working because our son's not going to participate. So that's when they come to looking at placement and some other and, other, some, and some other options. Um, so I'll do my entrance interview, and we'll do the same thing with the parents, and then we understand that everybody needs to participate in therapy. And do we have the right student in our program, the right client in our program? So you're telling me, with as far as values are concerned, that for the most part, there probably should be a mediator. And is that is that is that how I understand what you're what you're kind of saying around that? Because I think to myself, well, yeah, from a sports background, I guess a mediator could be a coach. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It um, and I keep going back to this point about um, initially talking to the parents and the kids because that's the precursor. That is the jump start going into therapy. And the therapist is going to do the same thing. The therapist again is going to try to build that relationship with the uh, the client that he's working with or this young man and he's going to do the same thing with the parents um, oftentimes they'll call this motivational interviewing mm-hmm. and without getting you know too therapeutic in in my language it's nothing more than finding out about both sides the parents and the kids to see what crossover and commonality that they have with each other and that's all predicated that's all based on values that mm-hmm. they hold um, when you have that commonality, then that's a great starting point for having other conversations about um, therapeutic approaches, about uh, about everything that we're going to do within Sundance and within our program. Well, let's give a. I'd like to give parents that are listening and the listeners some a tool, if you will, and I'd like to boil that down a little bit as far as values. So. I think to revisit my question, and that is to say, is values, do I have a values conversation with my son or daughter? The answer may, may be yes, but in what way? And it sounds like to me there's some language needed. Do they maybe have that person that they think is the mediator for them, or they had that conversation with them first before their son and daughter? I mean, what's what's an action item for a parent to really dive into this to say, yeah, this kid is, my kid is not 
does not see eye to eye with our values. And so, you know, I need to address that in some way. What's the language a parent can use or conversation introduction to the parent can use to say, uh, I need to de- dive deeper into this or I need to, f- to have a little bit more of a touch point with my son or daughter. Is it, is it always going to be through a mediator? How does, how does that values as a parent, how do I use that as a tool in order for me to investigate what options are best for my son or daughter? You know, that's a great question because um, these action items are, you know, things that I also ask parents to do uh, before they place. And so there's three that come to mind and uh, they're pretty succinct. The first one is, number one, identify that certainly there is an issue going on in your home with your teen that you have seen over a period of time uh, these issues arise and you understand that that your teen's in crisis. And that can be a variety of different things. Those are indicators like they just got suspended from school and or they're using substances and or they're not leaving their, you know, they're leaving their bedroom. You see that depression or that anger and rage. Depression can be manifested in a number of different ways, but you're see, you're seeing a pattern of behavior and attitude um, that says my teen is in crisis. So that's the first thing is recognizing that. The second thing is bringing that to their attention, that you you literally sit down with your teen and not with shame and guilt, but really just, hey, I understand these things are happening. I see that these things are happening. I'm worried for you. I'm scared for you. You can use that that type of language to say, I'm worried, I'm scared, um, I'm interested, I'd like to know more. And you're, you're basically saying, how do I help you? I see that you're in crisis. That's important because when shame and guilt and threat threats are involved, kids will clam up and or they're going to throw threats and ultimatums back at you. And then you're, not, you're at an impasse. You're not going to go anywhere. Um, so it's really important that recognition is first. The second thing is having an honest conversation. And the third one is, what can I do to help you? Ask those questions. Um, and, and that's how you get to the values piece. Because when you ask, how do I help you? Then you're giving them an opportunity to maybe fix it themselves, come up with some ideas, and it's not going to be imposed on them. Now, if you've done all three and you're still getting an attitude of leave me alone, you know, get out of here and or threats and ultimatums and yeah. or pretty divisive languages being used, that's when you can seek uh, a mediation. And again, it's coaches. It's those people that you understand are touch points for your teen in their lives. It can be friends. It can be extended family members. It can be coaches. It can be anybody that you know, hey, they can go down and have a, uh, a conversation with my, with my son and or daughter and, uh, and start talking about some real things. But always go back to those three touch points of mm-hmm. number one, recognition. Number two, asking the question, you know, um, um, I, I recognize these things are going on. How do I help you? Um, those those are important things. Those are important. Yeah, I mean, Don, I mean, as you were talking about, though, you really are having that values conversation right there. Right there. Because you're saying, hey, I recognize or I, I've identified that this is something going against my value as a parent. And then second, the conversation isn't a guilt and shame, isn't it? You shouldn't be doing this in the shoulda, couldas. It's the... 
how, why, and where, and how can I help you? And it leads into that third one of how can I help you? So that's, that's huge. I think for a lot of the parents is to say, look, we are having a, yeah, a conversation today is about values, but really how does that conversation happen? Well, first identifying the issue that you're having with your son or daughter, and then having that conversation. And I think that's really hard to do for parents because for me, especially so to, to, to have a conversation about things that they're doing against maybe my value and me not try to correct them as we think sometimes parents should do. But really, it's just an identify. I love that. I love that. I think it's hard for parents to see past the identifying or recognizing the problem is actually a, a conversation about values is what you're saying. Yeah. It Again, it's a starting point. It's a crossover of, again, commonality because, mm-hmm. you know, I had, I had this instance... Uh, happened a, a number of years ago where I had a young man who came in and he was a week away from graduating the program and his parents were you know making arrangements for flights and coming out in hotels and everything and as I was talking to this this particular young man and saying hey you're getting ready to go home look at all this work that you've done look how far you've come all that he went back to his first day of coming in Sundance he said boy this this time went by quickly and I said do you feel grateful that your parents made the tough decision to have you attend? And he said, yeah, I wish it would have happened earlier because I gave them a hundred clues that I was in trouble. I couldn't ask for help myself, but boy, my behavior gave them every clue under the sun that I was in crisis and that I needed help. And I wish they would have acted sooner. And I, and I, you know, I kind of went, wow, that's that's good information to have. I, I really wanted to say to him, why was it that you couldn't ask for that help if you knew that you needed it? Um, but I didn't go there. I just simply yeah. said, yeah, I, I certainly understand. I certainly understand. So is it safe to say then that, you know, parents looking for, again, looking for answers and having that recognition of the problems, is that always going to turn out as a, I guess, a discussion of values or... Uh, is it always? Is it always a? Should, let me ask. That, let me say that again. Is it always going to be a indicator of of a cry for help? Boy, that's a that's a tough question to to answer. I don't know. I I think as a parent, you know, I coach sports teams, and I know when one of my athletes, whether it be a lacrosse player, or soccer player, or what have you, I know when they're struggling with their game. I would hope that most parents pay enough attention to their kids when they know their their kid is struggling. And I hope that in that first step recognition that the second step is taken and sitting down with them and having an honest question, I recognize that something's going on. And then the third piece comes in there. How do I help you? Because in the absence of these kids knowing what to do for themselves, I think most parents should take their stewardship pretty serious to say, I can intervene in the behalf of my child and get them the help that they need. And that's that's the hope that I have as a parent. That's the hope that I have as an admissions person. And that's the hope that I have as a program to bring parents and kids together through the commonality of values. So last question, but I would like to address, and I think most parents probably think of the same thing is, what do they do as parents if they don't even want to have that conversation? If the parents attempt using those steps and it comes back with a big fat zero. Yeah, that's that's the tough part. That's the hard part. 
Um, I have parents ask me that all the time. Hey, I've done all that, Boyd. You know what you just outlined those three things, and it's not working. Well, that's when you have to make the tough decision and say, I'm going to seek a solution for my teen in their behalf. And I've had parents say, I'm going to homeschool them. I'm going to do outpatient therapy. I'm going to put them in residential treatment. I'm going to put them in therapeutic boarding school. I'm going to send them to a wilderness, whatever it might be. That's when the parent has to then say, I'm going to make the decision for them. And understand one thing, and that is, their teen isn't going to appreciate that for some time. Either at graduation when they finish whatever program or whatever solution has been found for them, they're not going to truly understand that for some time. And they have to, the parent has to understand that's a tough decision and someone's going to be upset, disappointed, um, whatever that might be. But uh, that's the tough decision. And I know I said the last question, but kind of reversing that a little bit. Okay. What if they have the conversation continually? Meaning over and over, but they but there's no change and there's no understanding of, you know, they continue maybe they're just shining them on. Yeah. Yeah, that happens a lot. And you know, vice versa, the parents do that too. Hey, I've given my kid the last chance and then another last chance and right. then another right. last chance and it keeps going on. And or the kids like, "Yeah, I I promise I will make a change I'll make a change I I think every parent has that dial inside of them to say yeah this isn't going to change anytime soon mm-hmm. um, and that's where I invite parents to make the tough decision and you know I want to make this a, a, a quick answer I wish it was but I will tell you something with my experience and that is I have had kids countless kids come to me saying hey I wish my parent would have made the decision sooner for me and or I love my mom and dad, but I never respected them because they couldn't make the tough decision. Hmm. All right. Well, that's all the time, Boyd. Thanks for coming to our interview today and, and talking with us. Uh, for those of you that want to uh, ask questions, you have my email address at the end of the end of our podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'd like to thank our parents that are listening to the podcast today. If you'd like to hear a different topic or ask a question to me, feel free to email me at nate at sundancecanyonacademy.com. Look forward to seeing you on our next podcast.